Well, today I want to talk to you from the book of 1 Corinthians. And we've been talking about the issue of sexual immorality. And today we're going to look at, the Bible talks about a mystery, a great mystery. And so when we think about the Bible speaking of a mystery, it's speaking about something that we can only know if God reveals it to us. And so the Bible says that God has revealed us a mystery about the connection between our relationship with him and how we conduct ourselves in our body. And the Bible, in this passage we're looking at today, talks about our relationship to the Father, our relationship to the Son, and our relationship to the Holy Spirit, and how all of those should direct how we use our body. Throughout this passage, in just this one chapter of Scripture, the Bible says six times, do you not know? And in that passage where it says repeatedly, do you not know, the implication is that the Corinthians should have known and that you and I should know. There are things that God expects us to know. So Jesus, when he was talking to the woman at the well, he confronted her about her sin. And in the process of that conversation, she tried to redirect it by bringing up a, uh, an issue that was very hotly debated, raised, if you will. God wants to train us up, and he wants us to conform us into the image of his son. And what that means is that he wants to make us like Jesus, that our thoughts are like his thoughts. Our heart, our desires are like his desires, so that he is loving and merciful. And so as we grow up in our faith, we become loving and merciful. We become like him. This is the process of sanctification. And so... We don't do these things in order to be saved. We do these things because we are saved. Jesus told a story. We looked at it Wednesday night. A few of you were here on Wednesday night. We looked at this passage of two people who went in the temple to pray. And Jesus said one went in to pray. And, and basically, when he went in to pray, he gave a little speech about himself. He prayed and he said, God, I'm thankful that I'm not like other people. And he identified a few people. And then he says, or even like this man. He identified another man who was a tax collector. But the Bible says that that tax collector stood in the back. And he wouldn't even lift his eyes toward heaven. But he said, God, be merciful on me, a sinner. Now here's what Jesus said about those two men. He says, that man, the man that asked for mercy, he says, that man went home. And, and here's the word justified justified doesn't mean that he was all that God wanted him to be it doesn't mean that God was finished working on that man but it means that because he had asked for forgiveness and sincerity and belief God had forgiven his sin and he was now in a right relationship he had been brought into the kingdom of God he is now a child of God but God still wants to grow him up in the faith and the same is true about all of us None of us have yet arrived. Even the Apostle Paul said that he said, I've not yet attained it. So he, was, he had not gotten there either. And none of us will on this earth because we still have our old sinful nature. And it's a lifelong journey of us putting to death that old sinful nature and taking on the new self and becoming like Jesus. So a lot of people see imperfections in a Christian's life and they see it as evidence that Christianity is not real. They'll say, I, I don't go to church today because there are, do you know what there are in church today why people don't come? 
You can say it out loud. I know half of you know. Hypocrites. That's what they say. I don't go to church because there are hypocrites in the church. Now, what they mean by that is they saw somebody one time who claimed to be a Christian, and then they saw him do something wrong, and so they thought, therefore, that person is just a hypocrite. Now, there are a few hypocrites, people that are just absolutely faking it, but most of the time what they're talking about is people that they have discovered a flaw and realized that person is not perfect, so obviously they're not really a Christian. They're just a hypocrite. They're claiming to be perfect, but they're not. Well, that person doesn't understand what it means to follow Christ. We're not claiming to be perfect. We're claiming to be forgiven. And the goal of Christian life is that we're, we're growing and we're transforming. So when I'm saved, I, I don't get up and say, hey, I used to be really bad, but now I'm perfect. But we can say, thank God I'm not who I used to be. And if we continue to grow in our faith, even as mature believers, we can hopefully say, thank God I'm not even what I was last year. Because as God begins to speak to us and convict us about things, we change areas of our life. And we slowly just become more and more conformed to the image of his son. So the more we grow in our faith, the more we're like him. The more we think like him, the more we act like him. And the more that we share his heart's desires toward other people. And this is the process of sanctification, being made holy. And what happens is, is that as we become more like him and we're transformed, our behavior changes and people see it and people see the new self and hopefully people are going to look at your life and say, man, the new person is so much different from the old person. There must be something to this. The Bible says, after all, you shall know them by their fruit. That is what they produce. So when we're talking about justification that that happens at a point when we come to faith and we're forgiven and we're we're now a child of God but sanctification is the process of of growing in our faith and becoming more like Christ and so in Romans chapter 6 where we're at today this is what Paul is is explaining in the first part of Romans he explained this process of justification and now he begins talking about sanctification that is becoming holy becoming like like Christ and so so with that understanding of the scripture today I want to ask you would you join me in standing as we read it Romans chapter 1 or chapter 6 excuse me Romans chapter 6 beginning in verse 1 we're going to read through verse 14 here's what it says what shall we say then are we to continue in sin that grace may abound by no means how can we who died to sin still live in it do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin 
and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Let's pray together. Father, I pray today that you'd help us to understand this passage, help us to come to know what it means to be under grace. I pray today for any person the Lord has never been justified. I pray today before this service ends, they might call upon you in prayer and ask for forgiveness of their sins. Lord, guide us through this entire message. For it's in Christ's name that we ask this. Amen. You may be seated. Well, Paul teaches us here in this passage that we have been saved for a purpose, that we have been saved to walk in, in newness of life. That is, we've been saved so that we can be a new person. So this is God's desire for us. And so he begins by explaining that some people misunderstand grace and abuse it. And so he says in this passage here in verse 1, he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound by, by no means? So you say, so pastor, if, uh, if, we're not for, if we're not saved because of doing good, but we're saved instead at a particular point when we ask for forgiveness and, and it's just by grace, then, then what difference does it make what we do? Well, it makes a difference because God's purpose for our life is to transform us into the image of his son. And, and, and grace is not a license for us to sin. Some people say, well, yeah, Pastor, if, if I'm going to be able to confess and everything's going forgiven, what does it matter what I do during the week? I'll just, I'll just do whatever I want to during the week. I have a great time. And then uh, Sunday before church, I'll say a prayer, and I'll say, God, you know, you know what I've done all week. Uh, please forgive me, and because God's gracious, he'll forgive me, and I can have all the benefits with none of the sacrifice. And other people might even take the argument a step farther, which is what Paul is talking about here, and say, well, so if, if when I am forgiven... God is glorified because he demonstrates how gracious he is to forgive somebody like me. Well, then really, the more I sin, the more opportunity I give God to be glorified. So I really bring glory to God by my, by my sin. So, so why don't I just do all kinds of stuff, and then I'll be able to get up and say, y'all know how I've lived all week, and yet God has forgiven me. What a great trophy to grace I am. And so Paul is... It, heading off all of that when he says are we to continue in sin that grace may abound he says by no means how can we who died to sin still live in it using grace as a license to sin see it contradicts the status change that we experienced when we were justified that is when we came from death to life the time in our life when we not just believe that Jesus existed, but whenever we expressed our desire to live for him. The Bible calls this repentance, and it just means to turn around. And so Paul says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? 
You see, our salvation should result in a radically different life. Meaning, the person who is following Christ should be completely different from the person that they were before they were following Christ. So he begins to talk about Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And, and it's important to understand here that Paul is going to shift back and forth between talking about the literal death of Christ and the symbolism of us being baptized. He's going to shift back and forth between the literal resurrection of Christ and the change that takes place in our life when we put to death the old self and rise to walk in, in newness of life. So he's, he's using something we're quite familiar with at this point, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ to illustrate and talk about something that some of us still need to get a little more familiar with, putting to death the old self and rising to walk in newness of life. And so he says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So Paul says Christ died, he was buried, and then he was resurrected. And in the same way, when we come to faith in Christ and are, are, are baptized into him, we put to death the old self and we rise to be, to be a new self. Now, a lot of people today think that it really doesn't matter how you're baptized. Someone just a couple weeks ago said, why do you guys make such a big deal about people getting baptized by immersion? This is one of the reasons. Because the Bible says, verse 4, we were buried, therefore, with him in baptism in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too might walk in newness of life. Baptism is a picture of what Christ did for us. It's a picture that he died, was buried, and was resurrected. It's a picture also of what he's doing in us. He, he's made it possible for us to put to death the old self and rise to walk in, in newness of life. You can't symbolize that through sprinkling. That's one of the reasons that we baptize by immersion, going under the water and coming up out of the water because we symbolize that Christ was buried and then he rose from the dead. Another reason we don't baptize with sprinkling is you won't find anybody in the Bible who was sprinkled, and you won't find anybody in the Bible that was baptized as a, an infant either. Even Jesus himself, who was baptized for an example, was almost 30 years old when he was baptized as an adult. So Paul is using this baptism to talk about the symbolism of the change in our life, that we put to death the old person, and we rise to walk in the newness of life. So as we begin to understand what God is doing for us, then we have to consider ourselves in a whole different light. We look at ourselves from a different perspective. And so we must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. So look at what it says in verses 5 through 11. It says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And so what Paul is saying is that if we've truly been justified, that, that is we've come to believe and we've been 
buried with him in baptism, when Jesus was risen from the dead, we too are going to rise to newness of life. What Paul is saying is that we don't do better in order to be saved. We do better because we are saved. We don't do good works in order to be saved. We do good works because we are saved. If Christ has radically changed us, then it should be evident in a, in a different life. If you're the same person today that you were before you were baptized, you may have only gotten wet. Baptism is just a symbol of an inner reality of accepting Christ and being changed. And if there's no change, there may have never been any acceptance of Christ. If we were united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Verse 6, notice what he says. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So, so the Bible teaches us here about the old self and the, the, the sinful nature that, that we all have. Following Christ involves putting that away. It, it involves crowding it out in your life and instead becoming a new person. So listen to some of the other passages the Bible speaks about the old self and the old nature. Ephesians 4.22, here's what he says. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed, that, that is to, to, to be made new, to be a new person, to walk in newness of life, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and put on the new self, and here's what the new self looks like. Listen to this. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The new self, the new you, what does that look like? It looks like Jesus. The new self thinks like Jesus. The new self loves like Jesus. And thinking and loving like Jesus will ultimately lead you to acting like Jesus. The new self means to be made new, to be made in the image of our, of our creator after the likeness of, of God. So this new person is a person that's been transformed into the image of Christ. Colossians 3.9 speaks about the same thing. It says, do not lie to one another, talk, talking about Christians, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. So, so the reason that, that in Colossians, Paul tells them, don't lie to one another is because that's, that was the old self. That was the old you. That was before you came to faith in Christ. You used, you used to lie. You used to manipulate people. It used to be a phony. You used to do all these things. But that's the old you. Now that we put on the new self, then we, we don't do those things anymore. We, we put that away and we put that to rest. He says in verse 10, having put on the new self, which is being renewed. See, there, there's that word again, same thing. The new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Now, now do you notice that that's present tense ongoing? It doesn't say the new self that has been renewed in the image, but the new self, which is being renewed. It, it's, it's an ongoing process. None of us have completely gotten there yet. This involves every day allowing God to speak to us and convict us about things. And every day, 
putting to death things that we discover are in contradiction to who Christ is. And so as you begin to grow in your faith and you hear from God, you'll, you'll discover things in your life that, that need to be transformed that you, you just never even, never even thought about before. And so, sometimes God convicts me about things that, that 10 years ago I never would even cross my mind that it was a sin, never even thought about it. But as God convicts me about different things and I grow, God shows me new things that I need to change to be transformed to his image. It's an ongoing process. Justification takes place in a moment, but sanctification is for the rest of our life. My children were conceived in a moment. They came out of the womb in a moment, but they grew and they're being trained and they're still being transformed into adults that they'll someday be. Same thing of following Christ. There's a moment, there's a point that we come to faith and we pray and we ask God for forgiveness. And when we come and we ask for forgiveness in sincerity and belief with a desire to follow God, in that mo like that, in that moment, we become a child of God. We pass from death to life. In that moment, we become heirs of the kingdom. And that is our standing and our relationship with God. But sanctification is the lifelong process of becoming more like him as we change who we are to become transformed to the image of his son. So verse 5, or Galatians 5, 24, it says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and with his passions and desires. So what, is it, what does it mean to follow Christ? It means that we put to death the old self and we embrace the new self. It means that we change the things in our life that are in contradiction to who God is. Verse 11, I want you to notice what it says. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Notice the word consider yourselves. That, that's your perspective about yourself, about who you are. Who am I in Christ? Well, I'm a person that is dead to sin and alive to God. Meaning, I don't have to wallow in sin any longer. I have the opportunity and the freedom to follow Christ. And so, what's the role of grace in all of this? Well, grace, grace is something that we use to serve God, not to sin. You remember how Paul opened this section? He said, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? So, so grace is not to enable me to sin. The point of grace is to enable me to seek after the image and character of Jesus himself. Now listen to what the Bible says in verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. The Bible doesn't say here that we're to be sin free. None of us are without sin. And some of us may be ignorant enough to think that we're without sin, but none of us are without sin. The Apostle John said to the church, he said, If we say that we are without sin, we are a liar and the truth is not in us. None of us are yet without sin. We may not commit the sins that we used to commit, and that's 
that's evidence of sanctification. But we are not yet without sin. The issue is not being in a state of sinless perfection, which you and I will not achieve this side of heaven. The issue is not being in a state of sinless perfection. The issue is who's in charge. The issue is, am I going to let my old sinful nature be in charge so that every time it has a whim or desire, I'm going to give in to it and I'm going to yield to it and I'm going to sin against God, or am I going to let Christ be in charge so that in everything I do, I ask, what, what would the Lord want me to do in this moment? As I read Scripture and I see something I've never saw before, I, I realize, well, I've got to think differently because now I understand this is what, this is what Christ thinks about this. It, it means that as I'm sitting and listening to God's Word preached, the Holy Spirit begins to, to prick my heart about something that I did this week that I thought. It means that if I'm going to let Him reign, I say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, whatever you want me to think, wherever you want me to go, I'm your servant. That's what it means to let Christ reign in our life. The reason that we talk about accepting Christ as our Savior and Lord is because although they go hand in hand, they're two different things. We accept Christ as our Savior and become justified before God, but accepting Christ as our Lord is a daily practice of saying, Jesus, I'm going to let you be in charge today. Now, Maybe think about it. Pastor, I've already tried this. I've tried it a bunch of times. And, and, and I can't do it. That's where grace comes in. That, that's the proper use of grace. So notice what he says in this last verse. He says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. When it says that we're not under the law, that doesn't mean that we're free to break God's moral law. It means that we're not under the contract or the covenant of being saved under the law. The, the contract of the law, and I use the word contract loosely as an illustration because we don't really understand covenants very much today in our society. So if I'm under the contract of the law, it means that, that one sin, one time of breaking the law is enough to send me to hell for all eternity that's the law the, the law was you keep this law and you'll experience the blessing of God we're all way past that none of us have kept the law but praise the Lord we're not under the law we're under the contract we're under the covenant we're under the agreement we're under the arrangement of grace so, so that when I I'm trying to be transformed in the image of Christ but I still have a sinful nature and I'm still weak and there's times in my life that I give into temptation and I fail and if you've ever tried to follow Christ all of you have been there and what happens is Satan will say say you can't do this you can't do it don't be a phony don't be a hypocrite don't, don't, don't keep going to church. Don't, 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 even, don't even try it. You don't have the power. You don't have the ability. You, you're, just, you're just a failure. That's what Satan will say to you. But because we're under grace, 
that we can understand that we may have lost the battle that day, but grace has won the war for our eternity. Because I'm under grace, I can go before God and say, God, you know what I've done today, and I've sinned. And because of his grace, he forgives me, and he gives me a fresh start so that I can once again pursue the image of Christ. I don't have to be defined by my past failures. I can be defined by the past victory of his grace in my life. And then I don't use that as a license to sin and say, well, I'll do what I want to because God will forgive me. That's an abuse of God's grace. That's an abuse of it. The proper use of God's grace is when you're in pursuit of Christ and you fail and you fall along the way, then you confess that to him as sin. You receive his grace. You get up and you keep going in the same direction toward Christ. Because we're not under the law. We're under grace. So what does it mean to be sanctified? It means to be made like him. The process of sanctification is the process of transforming our life so that all the things that we used to be and used to do that are in contradiction to Christ, we just crowd them out with this new life and this new person. And when people see the change in your life, one of the greatest witnesses that we can have when people see somebody who's truly been transformed this this is what God is calling us to let's pray together Father I pray today for the person that feels defeated by their sin I pray today Lord they would accept your grace Lord, help us to put to death everything about our lifestyle, our attitudes, our thoughts, everything that's in contradiction to who you are. Father, may we be transformed in the image of your Son so that others would desire to come into your kingdom. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Today we've been talking about something that only exists for the person that's been saved. Sanctification is something that happens after you become a believer. If you're here today and there's never been a point, a time in your life that you came to faith in Christ, I want to invite you today to call on the Lord in prayer. Jesus said, unless you're born again, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Even Jesus used that, that metaphor of being born to describe us coming in to faith with God and becoming a child. I don't remember the second that, that my kids were born into this world, but, but it was at a second. There was a point in time when it happened. says about the Holy Spirit verse 19 or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God you are not your own for you are bought with a price so glorify God in your body in the Old Testament times David wanted to build a temple for God 
And God said, no, your son Solomon's going to build the temple. He built this magnificent building. And the Bible describes how the glory of God came and filled that place. And we see throughout the Old Testament, there were times when the Holy Spirit came upon people. But it was only temporary. Perhaps for a time as they served as prophet. Or for a time as they served as king. Or for a time as they served as judge. You remember that Judge Samson... The Holy Spirit came upon him and gave him great strength. But then later, the Holy Spirit left him. Friend, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, the Bible says at that very moment, the veil in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple, it was torn from top to bottom. Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us, there, there, there is no more separation. There is no temporary uh, receiving of the Spirit of Him coming upon us and then leaving. When you are born again, you receive the Holy Spirit. If you've been born again, there'll never be another moment throughout all eternity that you'll ever be alone. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. Whether you know it or whether you feel it, if you've been born again, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And that's why the Bible says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? You are not your own. For you are bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. With temptation all around, from every direction, from within and from without, why would a person flee from sexual immorality? Because the God who created us, he didn't design us for this purpose. The God who created us, and who's calling us to flee from it has the power to raise you from the dead. And if you've been born again, you become one with the Lord Jesus. And God intends for you to be a living picture of that union as you're united with one person who's to be your spouse. We flee from sexual immorality because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. This building, as beautiful as it is, it is not a temple. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so that's why we flee from sexual immorality. And we seek in every area of our life to glorify God in our body. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for every believer that's struggling to flee from sexual immorality. I pray today that they'd be encouraged to understand these truths about them, that your spirit lives inside of them, that they are one with your son, and that one day you're going to raise them from the dead. Father, help us not to pursue the very temporary, fleeting pleasures of the flesh. But help us to glorify you in our bodies. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.